Hello and welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. I'm Adam Etris and I'm part of the Ridge team here in Morgantown. As Christ followers, we can often wonder, what will heaven be like? Will we be busy or bored? Will we know our loved ones? Listen as Pastor Josh brings a talk from the series Homecoming, where we are exploring what the Bible says about heaven. We hope that this talk will encourage and inspire you as you grow in your relationship with God and others. Hey everyone, welcome again to The Ridge. If we haven't connected before, my name's Josh Rhodes and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, If you're in the room, online, watching on demand, listening to the podcast, or maybe even just watching a clip of this message on social media, truly, thank you for connecting with us. One of my favorite Bible stories as a kid was when Jesus walked on the water and gave Peter the opportunity to do that as well. So I figured I would try it. And you already probably know where this story's gonna go. We were at my uncle Donnie's house and he had a great big in-ground pool. I believe the walls were uh, anywhere between eight and 10 feet high, just a giant box. And they would fill it to about six feet deep. And I remember we were all in the the pool, all of my siblings and cousins having a great time and, and someone called, it's time to eat. So everybody climbed up out of this big pool and the the ladder had this weird kind of furry fuzz, outdoor carpet, something or another. I mean, this was a pool made in like the 70s. But I chose to stay back in the water. So they all went up onto the deck area and there wasn't a great line of sight down into the water. And I thought, this is my chance. So I was five or six and I knew how to swim but my parents still subjected me to what I still consider to be a form of of punishment or torture, and those were those super tight orange water wings. Anybody? I mean, you would have to like dip them in grease to get those things on your arms. So here I was in the pool and I thought, okay, they're all gone, here's my chance. So I slid them down off my arms and I started to slide them up onto my feet and I got them onto my ankles. So I'm hanging on to the ladder, kind of just checking my buoyancy, and I, and I kind of tested one and tested the other, and then I thought, this is going to work. I mean, this is going to work. So I, I sort of let myself go off of the ladder, and for a split second, I was walking on water. It was amazing, but then it didn't work. And I flipped over so quick, head under the water, feet above the water, alone in the pool. And I tried my best to flip back over and I tried to take my feet and kick them off of each other to get those water wings off my feet. Nothing was working, I was completely helpless. The next thing I remember, because I regained consciousness, the next thing I remembered was the firmest grip imaginable around my ankles and then the speed that I was yanked up out of the water and I was finally able to catch my breath. By God's grace, my dad had looked down into the water and saw two little feet kicking 100 miles an hour, jumped in, grabbed me and saved me before it was too late. Now I've reflected on this story over the years. It was very foolish, kids don't try that at home, all right? But I've reflected first about how God really saved me that day. 
I mean, that story could have went the other way. I, I could have drowned, and I, and I thank God for that. But from a spiritual perspective, it has served as a reminder of, of two main truths that I want to talk about today as we continue this series about heaven. The first is just like me in the water, as hard as we try and as much as we want to be able to save ourselves out of the water, so to speak, we can't. We cannot save ourselves. And the second is since we can't save ourselves, we need a savior. We need someone to jump in and save us. So last week, Pastor Tim continued this Heaven series. If you missed it, do encourage you to check it out. And he encouraged us to look to heaven, to look up to God, to look to his word to learn about heaven. And this is important because there are so many ideas out there from movies to music to all sorts of influences that shape a lot of misconceptions about heaven. And there's also a lot of mysteries that Pastor Tim acknowledged. You know, these thoughts are above our thoughts. God's ways are not our ways. And I was thinking about that this week, how in God's grace, I believe he hasn't fully helped us understand or fully revealed what heaven will be like because I don't think we would want to live right now. If we had a full grasp of everything that was in store, I don't know that we'd be able to make it day to day. Now, Pastor Tim also reminded us that there are things that we do know. And even if it's not everything, there are still things that we can know for sure about heaven. And the most important thing we read from Revelation chapter 21. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. And he will live with them and they will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. He also said, write, because these words are faithful and true. In heaven, temptation and the curse of sin will be gone. The pains and the illnesses that plague our bodies. I've been having back pain for like two months. I can't wait for that to be over. All of that's going to be gone. Loved ones and friends who knew Christ will be able to see them again. The beauty of the new heaven and the new earth will be like nothing our eyes have ever seen. There will be no more death There will be no more pain. There will be no more brokenness. There will be no more need. There will be no more need for addiction recovery because addiction will be gone. I'm so thankful for all of you in our community who helped open the new WVU Children's Hospital yesterday, a huge accomplishment for our community and for our state, but there will be a day where that hospital won't be needed, praise God. All of that's going to be removed. All of it will be made new and it's going to stay that way. But the best part about heaven isn't even any of that. It's the fact that we will be in the presence of our God who created us, who loves us and desires a relationship with us. So to look forward to a place so remarkable and perfect in every way 
It makes sense to me that many people feel like they have to work for it or play their part in it. And you maybe have to just wonder, why is that? Well, I think it could be the influence of other religious systems, which primarily are predicated on the idea that you've got to do these certain things in order to obtain forgiveness and entrance into the afterlife. I think that is a big influence. But for most others, and this is just my opinion, and I would base it on just a number of conversations over the years, and I'm sure conversations that many of you had as well, is I think this is how most every other aspect of our life works. You know, if you want your first choice of college, you've got to work for it. If you want to make the team or win the championship, you've got to put in the work. If you want your dream job or dream house or whatever that dream is, you've got to be willing to hustle and sacrifice. And right or wrong, this is what we're taught about grades, sports, relationships, jobs, homes, all of these things and anything else that we want in life. So when it comes to heaven, which if you think like it's a a minority of people who believe it's real, according to a a Pew Research Center from last year, 73% of all Americans believe heaven is real and consider it to be the ultimate prize or reward of goal of this life that it makes sense that people feel like they have to earn it. So what do we do? We just try to be a good person. We try not to cuss too much. We try to make sure we make it to church for the biggies of Christmas and Easter. We take care of our family and our neighbors and we pray that when our time comes, the good outweighs the bad and God says, come on in. And I know a lot of people approach God that way and maybe that's how you see it as well, but regardless of how hard we try or sincere as we are, the Bible says that we cannot make it to heaven on our own. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight and nine says this, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Even if we wanted to work for it, even if we desired to work for it, it says we can't because the debt is too big and the consequence is too great. We can't overcome it. In the Old Testament book of Psalms, we read this in chapter 53. It says, God looks down from heaven on the human race to see if there is one who is wise, one who seeks God. All have turned away, all alike have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. This is such a vivid picture of our God on his throne, looking down onto humanity, just looking for one person, one person who is righteous, one person who is holy, one person who is without sin. And what does it say? It says he can't find a single one of us. And this truth is echoed by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter three. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So to turn away, to sin, in biblical terms, it means that we miss the mark. And if the bullseye of a, of a target, of a dartboard, if the bullseye included everything that God says you should do, and it also included everything that says you shouldn't do, 
To sin means we miss the mark. We do things we shouldn't do and we don't do things that we should do. This includes all of us, this includes me and you. And I think sometimes we wanna think that maybe well, God will grade on a, on a grading system. You know, that if, if you maybe sin from time to time or a little white lie, a little white here or there, maybe you get an A or a B plus or a B and God says, come on in. Or maybe you've had a little more sinning in your life or you've done a few more serious things and maybe that means you get a C or a D. But God says, hey, come on in. But then I think we get this idea that if you murder, you hurt a child or whatever the case may be, you get an F and you have no chance. God says no. But this isn't what the Bible teaches. It's a pass-fail system and the Bible says we've all failed. So because of our sin, Romans 6 says this. This is, this is like a bad news, good news verse. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. A, a wage is something you earn when you go to work. You earn a wage. Because of our sin, we've earned the wage of death. And this death is physical, it is spiritual, it is eternal in a place the Bible calls hell. And Pastor Tim is going to address that later on in our series. So like a child, like a child turned upside down with floaties on their feet, unable to save themselves, this is where we are. And the Bible says that judgment is coming and this is bad news. But there is good news. We've already touched on this, goose, this good news and this is the second main truth that I wanna talk about today. Because just like my dad was willing to jump into the water and grab me and pull me out, that's what our God has done. He sent his one and only son into the world to save us and give us eternal life. The most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And this verse, if you just take it on its own, is incredibly powerful. But if we understand this verse in its context and some things that Jesus said around it, it's really going to become even more powerful for us. In the beginning of John chapter three, the Bible says that a religious man named Nicodemus came to Jesus in the cover of night. And he rightly affirmed that Jesus was a teacher and that he was a miracle worker, but he didn't fully understand who Jesus was. So after telling Nicodemus that he needed to be born again, to have a spiritual birth, he said this in John three thirteen. Jesus said, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven, the son of man. So in this cover of night meeting, Jesus was helping Nicodemus that he wasn't just talking to another rabbi or another miracle worker. He was talking to God in the flesh who had descended from heaven. And Jesus referred to himself as the son of man. This is a reference to his humanity, being born of the Virgin Mary by the conception of the Holy Spirit. And he claimed that he descended from heaven and that he would ascend back to the Father, which is what he did. I love what Bible scholar E.A. Bloom points out. It's, it's a great visual. He, Jesus, is the ladder between heaven and earth with access to both realms. He descended in the incarnation and ascended in the ascension. 
You know, I'm a visual learner, so I love and, and appreciate this visual of just this infinitely tall ladder between heaven and earth. It reminds me of 1 Timothy 2.5 that says, there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. And just like a mediator today between two parties at odds, Jesus is the mediator. He is the one between heaven and earth, between God and man. So this truth about Jesus coming down, it's repeated in John 3.31, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from heaven is, or from earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. Nicodemus was not just talking to another rabbi. He was talking to God in the flesh. And you might be wondering, what does this have to do with our series about heaven? Well, let me summarize it this way. The one who came from heaven is the only one who can take us to heaven. The only one who came down from heaven is the only one who can take us back to heaven. This is why Jesus and Jesus alone is the answer and our only hope. I didn't come down from heaven, so I can't get myself there. I'm sorry, you didn't come from heaven, so you can't get yourself from there. Other spiritual leaders or other founders of religions didn't come down from heaven, so they can't get you there. This is something that only Jesus can do, and he made this abundantly clear about himself. In John 14, 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, salvation and eternal life doesn't work like your maps app. Most of the time, if you punch in a destination, it's gonna give you two, three, four different routes. Some are country, some are highway, some are shorter, some are longer, but eventually that path will get you there. And this is this idea that's so prevailing in culture that whatever path you take, as long as you're sincere, and as long as you follow it, you're going to get there, but that's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus is the only one who has come down from heaven, so he's the only one who can take us to heaven. So for the remainder of our time, I want to just give four brief points about this takeaway and about who Jesus is and what he did. For some of you, this is going to be familiar because we talk about these things often at the Ridge, but for others of you, this may be the first time you're hearing this, and it's really, really good news so I encourage us to hear this good news today. So first, the one who came from heaven is the only one who can take us to heaven. So who is Jesus? If we're going to trust Jesus to take us to heaven, it's vitally important that we understand who Jesus is. And I would ask that question to you. Who do you say Jesus is? Many would say he was the, a great teacher, a great example, the kindest, most compassionate person to have ever lived, and, and that would be right, but that wouldn't be completely right. First, we recognize that Jesus was born as a baby to the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus is the promised Messiah, he's called the Emmanuel, God with us, that he came down. He was like us in every way, ate and slept and cried and had physical needs, but unlike us, he existed from eternity past before coming down to earth, which makes him fully divine. In John chapter 10, Jesus said this, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will not perish. 
No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now in this passage, it says that the Jews wanted to stone Jesus because of blasphemy. And Jesus was claiming that he could bestow eternal life and was, was, was claiming equality with God the Father. And this is what the Bible teaches in the doctrine of the Trinity, that God exists eternally and equally as one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Jesus is God the Son, and the Son of God and God the Son, which is why Jesus said, I and the Father are one. We are one, and when you witness a baptism here at the ridge, we follow Jesus' command of Matthew 28 and baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus claimed to be divine. Now what did his followers believe about him? Because they were with him 24-7. When Matthew 16, it says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Again, that's his reference to his humanity. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets, but you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. It is clear that one of his closest followers, Peter, recognized his divinity. So who is Jesus? Well, simply put, he is the one and only God-man, fully divine, which enabled him to come down from heaven and live a sinless life yet fully man, which made it possible for him to live and go to the cross and, riot, and, and die a real death on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin. The only way for Jesus to be the savior of the world is to be fully God and fully man in one. So second, who is Jesus, but what did Jesus accomplish on the cross? What is it specifically that he did? Well, the Bible teaches that he paid the world's sin debt in full. We've already talked about the wage of sin is death. Jesus paid that debt. First Peter chapter one says this, he did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in the body on the tree, on the cross, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you are like sheep gone astray, but you have been now returned to the shepherd and overseers of your souls. He took it all. He took all my sin, all your sin, past, present, future, on himself, on the tree. He paid the price. I love how this is described in Colossians 2. It says he erased he erased it completely, the certificate of debt, with its obligations. It was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. What a gift that he would do that for you and for me to go to the cross. I grew up in church and the song we would sing, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed me white as snow. This is what Jesus accomplished on the cross. He paid the full, pay, the full price of the wages of our sin and death. 
Jesus the righteous was willing to die for the unrighteous and he rose again three days later and that's proof that God accepted his payment on our behalf. Now we talk a lot about what Jesus did in dying on the cross, but I don't know that we talk enough about why he did it. Why did Jesus send Jesus, why did God send Jesus to die on the cross? Well, love is what Jesus, what drove. It was for love that he came. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Romans 5, 8, but God proves his own love for us that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 5, therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. 1 John 3, 16, this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us in 1 John 4, 9, and 10. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Love consists in this. Not that we have loved God, but that he had loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. It was for love he came. It was for love that God sent his one and only son. It was for love that Jesus willingly went to the cross. So the one who came from heaven is the only one who can take us to heaven. Who is Jesus? Fully God and fully man. What did he accomplish? He paid the debt in full. Why did God send Jesus? It was for love. And how can we make sure we end up in heaven? This is the question. This is the question of all questions. How can we be sure that we end up in heaven? And the word is one word, and it is to believe. To believe. Used biblically, this word believe can be translated as faith or as trust. It means that you become fully and firmly persuaded of something. And we exercise this kind of faith almost every day when we drive across the bridge. We are trusting our life to that bridge to, ca to carry us from this side to this side. And as we approach a bridge, we are saying, I believe in, I trust in, I have faith in this bridge that's going to get me from this side to this side. And if we didn't firmly believe in, trust in, have faith in that bridge, we would be crazy to drive across it. So when the Bible talks about this, to say that we believe in or have faith in or trust in Jesus both in who he is and what he did, we are saying that we are fully and firmly persuaded that Jesus can carry us from this life to the life to come. That Jesus and Jesus alone can take us from our sin and our brokenness and our despair to a new and abundant and eternal life with God. That is what we are saying. And this is what Jesus said is required. John 11, in the context of Jesus raising Lazarus back to life, Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? This is the question for us today. Do you believe that Jesus died in your place and for your sins and he is the only way to the Father. 
And this is all throughout the scriptures and none of it is ever mixed with works. Yes, we work from our salvation. Yes, we were created for good works, but that's not how we obtain our salvation. Again, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Romans 1, 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, which is translated good news. The good news, I'm not ashamed of it because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, you'll be delivered from the penalty of your sin in 1 John 5, 11 to 13. And this is the testimony, God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. The one who has the son has life. The one who does not have the son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who what? Who believe in the name of the son of God so that what? You may know that you have eternal life. I love that verse because it says that you may what? You may, you may know, you may be confident in, you can be assured that you'll have eternal life. God in his great love does not want us to wonder or worry or have to wait until the end if it tips our way. He wants us to know that we will be in heaven when we die. He doesn't want us walking around pins and needles, oh, I had a good day, or I had a bad day, or I'm just not sure how God is feeling about me or how he's thinking about me. We can know. The Bible says that when we place our faith in, our trust in, our belief in who Jesus is and what he did, recognizing he is the savior, we will be saved. We will be delivered from the penalty of our sin. We'll be transferred from darkness to light. We'll be given the Holy Spirit and we will have confidence that we will be with him in heaven for all eternity. And some of you here today and some of you on the other side of this camera, you've already placed your faith in, your trust in, your belief in, and I'm so thankful for that. Praise God. Praise God that you know that, that you have that confidence, that you have that assurance. I would say thank him for that today. I think sometimes this good news kind of loses its good newsness. You know, like in the 60s, it was, it was good news that mankind figured out a way to get to the moon. This was groundbreaking good news, but then it was like, okay, well, that was good news back then, but is it really good news now? And I think sometimes this good news that Jesus died for me and for you, it can wear off on us. I would encourage you, thank God for it. Recognize the miracle that it is and share that good news with others. If we really believe it is the good news, we will share it with others to ensure that they can end up in heaven when they die. But also recognize that there are some of you here today, maybe as you're hearing this, you're just not sure. You're not sure if you've placed your faith and, and trust in Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to do that today, please. You don't need to come down front. You don't need to clean yourself up. You don't need to talk to a pastor about this. You can do that right now. And I would like to close with a prayer. And it's not the prayer, it's not these particular words that save you, it's just you crying out in a heart of faith to God. So I'm gonna pray. 
And if you want to express your heart's prayer, your faith to God, I would encourage you to pray this right where you are. God, I recognize that I'm a sinner and that I have fallen short. I have done things you've commanded me not to do and I haven't done the things you've asked me to do. And what I deserve is death. But I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and God the Son. I believe he died on the cross to pay the penalty of my sin. I believe he rose three days later and I am trusting in him and him alone for my salvation. I have full confidence that you will carry me from this life to the life to come. I give you praise in Jesus' name. If you prayed that, if you express that from your heart to God in faith, you are saved. You don't have to worry or wonder where you'll end up when you die. You can know that you have eternal life. We're gonna close with a song. It's, it's beautiful that God really loves us. He really, really loves us. And when I think about that story in the pool, what caused my father to jump into that water? It's because of love. And friends, I can still picture my dad's face. I was upside down. I saw him face to face when he pulled me out of the water. It wasn't anger. It wasn't, you stupid kid, what'd you do? It was, I saved my son. God really loves us. Be convinced of that. Regardless of where you've been, what you've done, or what you'll do in the future, he loves you. He died for you. Trust him. And you will know where you'll end up when you die. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.